So tell me, what have you noticed the most that patients want when they come in to see you? They want to know what happened. I think a lot of it is risk perception of like, you know, you're on vacation. You don't expect to be in the hospital. So we have people all over the U.S. We have a lot of people in Europe, Australia, because it's their summer. So they come here in the winter to ski. We have a lot of people from Mexico that are also coming. Um, And then also just reassuring them that, hey, this this isn't ideal. And then being also having to say like, sometimes we just don't know. Like we can tell you what may have happened, but being really honest with them of hope for the best, expect the worst moving forward. So what I'm hearing is people want to know what's wrong. They need some reassurance and they need to know what to do next. Welcome to In the ED Now, a podcast to make you an excellent physical therapist in the emergency department. I'm Dr. Rebecca Griffith, the ED DPT. Today's episode is amazing. We're going to talk to Dr. Nika Jacobson, who is a physical therapist in the emergency department in Vail, Colorado. And so her practice primarily centers around working with athletes coming down the ski mountain with injuries of all kinds. So she's going to talk to you about acute management of those types of injuries, how she best streamlines their care, and what you can do to be successful in this type of setting. I hope you don't miss it. Thanks for being in the ED now. We appreciate you listening. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Well, tell us a little bit about yourself. You and I work together some Mm -hmm. at University of Colorado Hospital, which is amazing. But today we're not talking about that. We're talking about how you've used your EDPT background to work in a a slightly different setting. So tell us just about your background and how you got into the ED in the first place. Yeah. So I think my ED interest started when I was a student. Um, I know you came and talked to my PT class, and um, I just remember thinking the ED was a great combination of a lot of things that I love and care about. Being able to see people same day for an acute complaint and being able to address that in the moment, um, as well as start the referral process and get people to the next best place. And just being able to utilize more of the primary care skill set side of PT. Um, which is, I know, evolving and up and coming. And I, I wanted wanted to be a part of that. Um, so I started my career in acute care, working on the floor, um, of course, during the pandemic. So um, got a lot of experience with more like cardio palm and just being able to meet people where they're at that day. And then started in the ED at university. And since then, I've been able to um, be in a seasonal role in Vail, Colorado, um, working in their Fancy. ED. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, so now I'm part of Howard Head Sports Medicine, um, which is affiliated with Vail Health. And um, I, this season, I've had the opportunity to work in their emergency room full time, uh, helping all of our skiers and snowboarders with orthopedic injuries and everyone else that walks through the door. So including our local community in the valley here, and then um, anyone that's visiting who just happens to have something else going on other than an orthopedic injury. That's amazing. So I think Mm -hmm. the the first question I think people are going to have for you is your new grad working in the ED. No. So I started working, um, I guess I graduated in December, 2019. And so I've been working for over three years now. Um, So I'm going to argue with you that that's still kind of a new grad, that early career professional. 
So that yes. like <laughs> zero to five years is, yes. I would say it's still probably unusual for somebody to be starting their career in the emergency department. Yeah, I would agree. It's definitely a unique skill set that I've had to quickly learn and develop. And I'm, of course, still learning and developing. Yeah. Um, especially and that's a question since, I get all the time, though, yeah. is how do I start my career in the ED? Mm. So so based on your experience, because you're yeah. doing it. Yeah. What would you tell people who are like, God, I want to do that. I want I don't want to wait until I've been a PT for 10 years. I want to yeah. do it now. How do you what would you tell people to do? Talk to PTs that are in the ED. <laughs> um, I mean, I know that you were you were my person that I talked to. And I know that we developed a relationship um, early on and pretty much any opportunity I had to shadow, observe, work in a place that has a program, or even if they only take consults, just kind of get your foot in the door. I think that's how I got to where I am. And then just getting as much exposure as possible to the ED because it is a very intimidating place. At least for me, it was, um, especially as a newer grad um, when you're, you're still developing your clinical reasoning and being able to communicate effectively with other providers and establish trust with them. I think that skill set is so critical for the emergency room. And so there are a lot of ways you can work on those skills before you even get into the ED. But I think just putting yourself out there and talking to the people that are doing it day in and day out is how you got to get there. I love that. And and for mm-hmm. any students who are listening, like Nico was so proactive, even as a student and wanted to come to the emergency department in shadow and was like committed to that. So if you're like, gosh, I'm a student and I really want to do this, like you, you need to start being proactive, reach out to people, make those connections. Mm-hmm. And ironically, the day that Nika came to shadow me, we had zero patients. <laughs> so we were just kind of chilling in the ED, but it was still yeah. kind of really good way for her to show that she was interested and committed and she was willing to give her time to come mm-hmm. and just be in that environment. So kudos yeah. to you for like finding yeah, that path and, and blazing a trail because it is a question a lot of students have. How do I get into the emergency department, especially if I can't get a clinical? So that's great advice. Also, like anything that you can do to help establish that skill set prior. Like I know I was in an outpatient neuro setting like halfway through PT school. And I think that really helped with my like vestibular experience. And that's Mm -hmm. something that you have to be pretty strong in for the emergency room. So anything that will help facilitate that later on in your career, I just take full advantage of that. And I would argue that there's no bad clinical to prepare you for the ED. No. Like I have students say like, where should I go on my clinical anywhere? Mm -hmm. Because you need to know all the things Yep. So like just being mindful of what you're learning in each setting. So I think that's also yep. great advice. I think outpatient is definitely helpful because you get that like turnover, that yep. quick turnover time, which can be hard for students, I think. Yeah. Yeah. All I right. Agree. So, so like, let's get back on topic here. Cause I've totally yeah. gotten us distracted. <laughs> um, working in the emergency department where I work is an mm-hmm. urban academic medical center. Yep. It's got a hundred beds. We're mostly seeing people who are having health literacy issues, complex yeah. medical care problems, older adults with falls, things like that. And so some people are like, I, I don't I don't know that that's for me. Mm-hmm. But what you're doing is totally different from that. So you're in Ski Town, USA, yeah. Vail, Colorado. Please come visit and ski in Vail. It's yes. amazing. And you're seeing athletes and high-level performers. You're seeing people from all over the world. So kind of compare yeah. and contrast a little bit for me, since you've been in both of those settings, the differences between that academic medical center and that like 
literally tourist town medical center. Yeah. So Vale Health is, it's an interesting hospital because it's, a lot of it was founded in its orthopedics. So, mm-hmm. you know, the Simon Hawkins Clinic, um, now Stedman Philippon, they've really created this, this Mecca for orthopedic care. So people already are used to traveling to Vail to get their orthopedic care. And then of course we have the resort. So from about November through April, we have this influx of tourists. And when the tourists aren't here, we have a pretty big local community. And so Vail Health is the main hospital for all of Eagle County. So that's all the way east from Vail, um, going west all the way towards Gypsum. And we're kind of our barriers are Vail Pass and Glenwood Canyon. And so there's a lot that we are a little bit in a bubble from um, mm-hmm. because of those geographic barriers. So I would say that we sometimes, you know, you kind of have to function a little bit like an island when things come in. But of course, we have the resources to get people out. Um, so Flight for Life when we're able to fly. And then, um, of course, our paramedics are able to drive when um, the weather is not great. Um, That's a real issue for people. I think sometimes people don't understand that. They're like, oh, it's great. I'm going to go skiing. There's so much snow. But you and I both know that that highway Mm -hmm. can close at at any second, even if it's May, sometimes it's June. And so having those resources to get people out, I think is critical. Right. Even though sometimes they can't. Exactly. And so our emergency room, we have attendings, we have nursing, and we have EMTs. So our you know, at university, you have other mid-level providers like PAs and NPs. And then of course you, it's an academic center. So you have residents and kind of like this big, like lots of resources. Yeah. Lots lots of of resources. Yeah. 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 And here it's much more limited. And so we also don't have every consult service. So frequently where the doctors are getting on the phone, talking to other hospitals in Denver, trying, you know, Mm -hmm. if, if there's anything that we need that we don't have. So like we don't have neurology. Um, and as a PT, that's someone that I'm really used to working with. And yeah. so I will say that there are times where you have to figure out, is this situation in which we need to call neurology today? Or can we refer to outpatient? And can this person get outside of Eagle County to see a neurologist? Um, so sometimes it's just a matter of figuring out level of acuity and what you need in that moment for that patient. But that being said, with the resort, predominantly with physical therapy, we're seeing lots of orthopedic injuries. So I I learned this week that we had over 700 PT consults um, just at the Vail emergency room. We also have a Beaver Creek emergency room, um, which is just 10 or 15 minutes down the road. And we had, yeah, over 700 consults. And I think I personally saw over 400 of them. And so high volume, lots of knee injuries. So we're thinking MCLs, ACLs, meniscal tears, um, tibial plateau fractures. Um, And then, of course, the ones that I don't necessarily see, but we see later on in inpatient or outpatient are femur fractures, tib-fib fractures. um, And of course, there's always ankle and foot involved as well. We also have a lot of AC joint separations from our snowboarders who are falling and a lot of clavicle injuries as well. Um, and then calf strains, that's actually the third most common ski injury. Interesting. Yep. So um, just doing a lot of education around how to manage those types of injuries and compression fractures. I will say that's also up there between cervical and lumbar spine, sometimes thoracic spine, but that's usually more in our older 
geriatric population. And so working with the doctors on bracing, figuring out what type of follow-up is needed um, because most spine docs that we're calling aren't here, um, depending on the acuity. So I would say that's most of who I got to see. We do have a lot of closed head injuries because yes. trees do not move. <laughs> they don't. So, trees always win. No. Yeah. So um, also doing a lot of education and trying to get people into concussion PTs as well, because it's it is it was every day, multiple times a day that we had people who were there for concussion um, and just ruling out any type of other brain bleed or more serious. So probably a lot of imaging happening there. Oh my gosh, yes. So have become really good friends with all the imaging techs, um, lots of x-rays, CT, and sometimes MRI, just depending on how serious of a soft tissue injury. There's several people that blow out their whole knee. There's, yeah, just a lot of, I will say a, a lot of injuries that I have never seen before. Um, I yeah. got to, you know, even if I wasn't directly involved in their care, being able to understand how the other providers were managing it and who else is involved in, in their care. Well, geez. So I, I would, I think all of that makes a lot of sense with like the boot situation. Yes. So like where the body has to bend and torque mm -hmm. given the like stability of the boots. So yeah. that makes sense to me. How many of these patients do you feel like really should be going to like an urgent care versus an emergency mm. care situation? Yeah, I think that's a great question. Um, I think that there are, you know, pretty much anyone that's weight bearing, I usually associate with more of an urgent care um, status, but it's also tricky because we have people who hurt their knee, their knee the day before and came back the next day and turns out they had a tibial plateau fracture and they were, you know, Walking doing their it. best. Yeah. And so it's yeah. hard because I know, you know, I do the blog post for um, the EDDPT and I just went over auto and knee rules and there's times where it's like, man, but you know, I've seen people walk on their fracture and it's not great. And so yeah. how do you, you know, everyone pretty much gets an x-ray we're um, here as long as it's clinically indicated and the attendings are always involved in that. But yeah, I will say that there are a lot of people that could go to urgent care instead, but we actually, Bail mm -hmm. Health has created a whole streamlined process of when ski patrol brings you down the mountain you either will be in an ambulance because medically you need one or you go into a ski transporter van, um, which is a complimentary service of the hospital. And so if you dislocate your shoulder, if you, if you hurt your knee, there are ski transporters that will, they're very fancy vans, very cool um, gurney beds that where you don't even have to do any lifting. It's all automated and remote controlled. And then you basically get brought into the emergency room. So really Part of it is even though maybe some people could go to urgent care, a lot of Vail Health is actually built to absorb. All to of kind these. of serve that patient population. Exactly. So I guess my next question is, are you still skiing? Because I feel like <laughs> if I was doing this all day, every day, there's no way that I would still be going skiing. I would be like, no, hard pass. No, thanks. Yeah. Yeah, um, there are definitely days that are really hard, I will say. I still ski. I actually tore my ACL skiing four years ago. So part of it is feeling like I have that experience of what it's like that day, 
to hurt your knee and just really have to come to terms with your, like what the next year of your life is going to look like. And also trying to figure out like, who do I, like, what do I do now? Like, who do I need to see? What needs to happen? Like yeah. am I getting surgery and just dealing with a lot of that ambiguity and uncertainty. But I do still ski because part of it is I always joke that I'm going to go to the base of the mountain and just walk everyone or watch everyone walk away from the resort because I know that I'm seeing a very small percentage of people yes. that aren't walking away. Yes. Um, and I think a lot of it is just reminding yourself that it's, you know, not everyone hurts their knee or has an injury after skiing. Um, or hugs and also, the tree. Right, exactly. And also you just, it has changed the way I ski. So I'll ski a little slower. I make different decisions. And also just knowing what risks are out there and kind of accepting that risk because sometimes things happen. Yeah. I, you know, hats off to you because I feel like that would like, <laughs> I would probably be scared to walk in the parking lot after that. But, uh, you know, I definitely yeah. like feel like I want to make my kids wear a helmet when they go outside to play in the driveway. Yeah. So, you know, I don't think working in the emergency room has done any favors from that perspective. Also, I just no. personally, I hate snow. So you're never going to catch mm -hmm. me up in Vail working in the emergency department. So I'm going to leave yeah. that to experts like you who actually know <laughs> about skiing and enjoy that. Yeah. So if somebody's like, hey, this sounds like an amazing job. Like I could move to Vail for a season. I could do like mm -hmm. sports injuries, which I love. And I can yeah. ski on my days off. Yeah. Is that really like how it is? Yeah, I would say I've felt very spoiled this season. My So my schedule was actually 1030 to 7. So just based on the fact that the resort opens around 830 and then most of the winter it closes at 3.30, but because of the later sun, it's been 4. Um, I started 10.30, so I would go ski for about an hour and a half before work on what, whichever days I want because I live here, so it's easy to get there. Um, and then work the rest of the day. And I, I was Monday through Friday, so I didn't get a lot of – or I didn't have any days off during the week, which I know some people really like up here because the weekends are really busy. But honestly, just having that hour – um, in the morning when the snow is the freshest and you get to just ski and then go to work. I'm very grateful for that experience. Um, and then also the, depending on the snow conditions depends on what type of patients you expect to see that day. Okay. So, Tell us about that. Yeah. So softer snow, more snow, you expect more soft tissue injuries just because a lot of people will get their skis stuck in the snow or crossed, or sometimes they hit a mogul funny and then their, you know, their body goes one way, their knee goes the other way. So you expect more ACL tears that day versus if there's no new snow, it's really cold or icy, you probably would expect more fractures. So, you know, usually I'd walk in and say, okay, I think today is going to be an ACL day or, oh, I think today is going to be more of like clavicle, shoulder dislocation, boot top fracture kind of day. But then some days kind of fool you. So you never really know what's going to happen still. Um, but I always felt better knowing what type of snow was on the ground because that would help me prepare for the day. That makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. So at least it's a little bit more predictable than your traditional emergency department where you kind of have some sense of everything's going to be lower extremity today or orthopedic. What other kinds of diagnoses are you seeing in the ED up in Vail? Yeah, um, so I do home safety evaluations, um, especially for pelvic fractures, mostly just trying to figure out if their pain is controlled well enough to ambulate and go home safely. Part of it too is also just because we have so many tourists, it's, you know, can they travel? So, you know, they're going home the next day. Yeah. Can they tolerate sitting on a plane? Can they tolerate the drive to Denver? 
how are they going to make that happen? So part of it's also just discharge planning. I do see people who come in with vertigo. So, you know, it happens everywhere, (laughs) kind of regardless of what ED you're in and being able to help facilitate um, any type of like consult recommendations or referral processes for after, especially since we have a really well-established brain and balance program at Howard Head. So trying to get people in as soon as possible for that referral process. Mm. And then that's mostly it. I just think that sometimes people will come in and if they're not moving well, the attendings, the ten, attendings knew that they could talk to me about it and, or, if, you know, other random muscle strains, like hamstring strains, adductor strains, things like that. So I would say primarily orthopedic, of course, that's what uh, we're known for <laughs> at yeah. Howard Head. But, you know, if anyone came in that it was more of like a one-off, I would say, okay. um, not as common to have other, other complaints. What about altitude sickness? Oh, yeah. There's a lot of people that come in with that. So yeah, I guess outside of what I'm consulted on, we have a lot of, we have, you know, just a lot of people who are just generally, so we had a lot of viral infections Hmm. um, this winter. And then of course that's exacerbated by altitude. So um, people coming from sea level, lots of hypoxia. We have some people come in with HAPE, which is the pulmonary edema that's associated with higher altitude. Um, You know, we have a lot of kids that come in too. So I know at UCH, it's primarily adults because children's is right next door, but we do have a lot of kids that come in. Um, And so that's also been a shift for me is just like, how do you work with kids? (laughs) Um, And you know, what types of things are they coming in for? Um, And then I think the other thing is we do have level one, level two traumas. So we do have, you know, because I-70 is right next to Vail, we get truck accidents, car accidents, sure, um, and then medical alerts. So, you know, cardiac arrest in the county, stroke alerts, kind of all your, you know, all the things you would expect in any other ED, just in a different you know, proportionally, the population is smaller, but the influx changes dramatically in the winter. Well, definitely like a, an interesting variety of being like an urban or a rural generalist mm-hmm. yep. and an orthopedic specialist. Yes. That's very cool. That's very cool. So tell me, what have you noticed the most that patients want when they come in to see you? They want to know what happened. Yeah. Yeah. So they... A lot of it's, you know, I didn't even know that you can hurt yourself skiing. So that's a conversation that we have, you know. Really? Oh, yeah. I think a lot <laughs> of it is risk perception of like, you know, you're on vacation. You don't expect to be in the hospital. Oh, okay. That's valid. Yeah. And, um, you know, people are, like you said, are coming from all over the world. So we have people all over the U.S. We have a lot of people in Europe, Australia, because it's their summer. So they come here in the winter to ski. We have a lot of people from Mexico that are also coming. and so. I think people's risk perception of what skiing is, what that vacation is meant to be, and when something like this happens, how that affects the the course of their their travel. Mm. And so I will say that just knowing what happened to them, what this means for them, what they can expect next, a lot of it's also, you know, why can't I get an MRI today? Mm. Um, questions like that. And then also just reassuring them that, hey, this is – this isn't ideal. Of course, I wish I could tell you today exactly what happened, but especially with our soft tissue injuries and with 
you know, some people experience uh, ACL tears very differently as far as pain. So, you know, can I even get a good knee exam today? Are they guarding? You know, what it, if the doctor already did it, is it worth it for me to do it again? Yeah. Um, and then being also having to say, like, sometimes we just don't know. Like, we can tell you what may have happened, but being really honest with them of hope for the best, expect the worst moving forward. And let me tell you exactly what you, do, you need to do next, because right now your brain is very overwhelmed by this whole experience. So let me help you. <laughs> so what I'm hearing is people want to know what's wrong. They need some reassurance oh, yeah. and yeah. they need to know what to do next. Yeah. Perfect. I think that makes a lot of sense in any emergency department. That's, mm-hmm. I feel like what people want the most, yeah. but that makes sense, especially if you're on vacation and you're supposed to be having a good time yeah. and you want to know what happened and maybe you ran into a tree and hit your head. That, that all seems very valid. Yeah. And also it's like, you know, can I go to dinner with my family tonight? We have reservations. Can we, can I even leave the hotel room? And so just also encouraging like, yes, I want you to participate in your daily life, even though that this happened, these are all the things that you need to do to help manage your injury, but please continue to live your life as best you can. Kind of stop that fear avoidance right away. Yeah. Especially like, I mean, and I think part of it is anecdotal coming from my experience of not wanting to sit life out just because you hurt your knee. Yeah. You just, you got to keep moving forward and you know, nothing's going to happen that, that same day. You're not going to get surgery that day. You're not going, you know, there's a lot that you just won't get to know for a little while. So you might as well keep living (laughs) and be patient. That must be really frustrating for people. So what, what have you learned about like how to streamline the referral process and how to collaborate with other providers? Because Mm -hmm. it seems like if you have 700 patients coming in with these types of injuries, this has got to be a well-oiled machine by this point. Yes. So explain that. Like how do people, how can people best like set up that collaborative model so that they can really get these patients through quickly and Mm -hmm. easily if they're trying to start a similar program? Yeah. So I think a lot of it is just having the physicians know how we can assist them because depending on the time of day, there might be one physician or during the busy time, there's three in the emergency room, but they're managing everybody. And so we can help with the throughput of, you know, more or less the the clogging of the emergency room where it's like all of these people are coming in with orthopedic injuries, which is clogging space for people that might have a higher acuity. Yeah. Um, And so being able to say, Hey, the x-ray came back negative. I'm going to go see this person and see what I think is going on and start that education process. So that by the time you see them, a lot's already been done. But of course that also means that you have to build a relationship with them and they need to be able to trust you. Because, you know, they're used to doing more of that, that heavy work of diagnosing patients and doing all the education and getting them out. And so being able to say, let me help you with some of that. And I will let you know if something comes up. So sometimes it's like, hey, I wasn't able to bend their knee past 30 degrees. And the x-ray was negative, but I'm a little bit worried about that. Do we need more imaging? Could it be a tibial plateau fracture that we missed on x-ray? Or could it be a bucket handle tear, which, you know, really just requires more of that, please go to see an orthopedic doctor tomorrow so that they can hopefully do surgery in the next few days. So a lot of it is just figuring out who, who is your patient at what time? How can you really help get people out while also addressing their care? And I think that I mean, we kind of had it down to it, like you said, it was a, it felt like a science at some point where people come in, they get triaged by nursing, 
imaging gets ordered, the imaging techs either come in or take the patient. And it's all very, it's all close to each other because it's such a small hospital. So then they get the imaging, the doctor typically would come in, see the patient, examine them, and then consult me. But if that part of the process was a little off just because of how busy it was, I would try and talk to the physician and say, hey, I, I, this is the results of this. I'm going to go see them, start that process. And then by the time the doctor can see them, usually we can get them out the door, I want to say within two hours. So it's we had it down. And I think a lot of it, too, is just getting used to like, all right, this is if someone comes in with this type of injury, this is my spiel. And let me let me really hone in on that so that I can do it in a very time and efficient or timely and efficient manner. I love that. And then I'm assuming there's also processes for escalation when things are not going the way that they should. Right. Yeah. I mean, sometimes people come in not in a lot of pain and turns out they have a femur fracture or like they're just things happen and you're like, okay, this patient is no longer for me right now. Let's, let's get other people involved. But typically uh, most of the time that that didn't happen. It just sometimes did. Every once in a while you got to be prepared because there's still, still could be an emergency happening. Oh, always. Yeah. Especially um, based on where people are coming from, if they're coming from sea level or yeah, just, you know, sometimes the, the person that's visiting them faints because they got <laughs> they got a little that's disturbed. To me. Yeah, <laughs> I actually yeah. had a patient's family member code while I was oh. working with the patient, um, oh, so that was a first for me. But it, it does happen, and you have to be mm-hmm. prepared, like any emergency PT. All right, well, this has been really helpful information. So I think last thing I want to ask mm-hmm. you, and then I'll let you share any of your like parting thoughts. But like, all I'm thinking about right now is like, what kind of stuff do you need to have? Because I know I don't use a lot of stuff, but if you're bracing, wrapping, like booting, like tell me like what are the like top five things that somebody needs to have supply-wise to be able to do what you do? Yeah. Um, So lots of braces, mostly hinge knee braces. So we have three different kinds. One is um, what we call our economy brace, which provides lateral support, but is kind of a basic um, neoprene brace, um, more for MCL injuries. We have a recovery brace, which is the next level up that has the locking and unlocking mechanism, and you can Mm -hmm. set degrees of flexion and extension. With that, still neoprene, very user-friendly, kind of like your go-to ACL tear brace, provides a lot of stability, but isn't the T-scope brace, which is our post-op brace that a lot of our surgeons use up here. So I'm thinking more tibial plateau fractures will be in Mm. that one. Um, or just someone with a very unstable knee. So they could have ACL, MCL, meniscus, tear, sometimes PCL. So we're putting them in that one. And it kind of looks like a robot arm, um, but it extends so that the lever arm is longer. So lots of bracing, um, crutches galore and of all sizes. So yes. youth crutches, regular crutches, tall crutches, and the ones that you don't have to screw. So I would say mm. like, do, do not get those if you have a say over your inventory or your supplies, get the ones that have the little red tabs that pop out and then you can easily shift the handle. So that just trying, amazing. yeah, like honestly, that has saved so much time. Like whenever I have to do one of the crutches where you actually have to like unscrew the mechanism, it drives me nuts because it, it takes like five extra minutes, it feels like, to do that. 
And then walkers, because sometimes we have people with pelvic fractures or just do, you know, older folks who are still skiing and crushing it. But mm, balance wise, yeah, no, it's like we have a lot of people over 70 who are just skiing over 70 days a season. That's awesome. Um, Yeah. Um, So just anyone who needs more stability um, with balance. Um, I use Luco tape and coverall tape for AC joint separations. Um, So a lot of slings as well. And then um, heel lifts for our calf strains. So being able to put a heel lift in someone's shoe usually really helps facilitate a normal gait pattern. Um, So I would, yeah. So I would say those are primarily what I use regularly, just orthopedically. Yeah. I love that. Okay. So final thoughts for people who are like practicing maybe in a ski resort, maybe in a rural emergency department, like what are your best words of advice for somebody who's trying to get into that or is doing that? Yeah. Get as much support as you can. So Mm -hmm. I, I feel very lucky that this position was well established prior to me being here um, and is heavily supported by the emergency department as well as Howard head sports med. So Howard Head, they provide the inpatient and outpatient services, and they have multiple clinics all across Summit County, Eagle County, and now also Pitkin County, which is near Aspen. Um, And so I think having their support, knowing, hey, like, you know, you're, you're saving us a lot of like PT resource time because we have someone there full time, and you're able to make these referrals and you're, you know, the emergency department loves having you there because you're helping get people out and you're taking ownership of this patient population that really is ours. And so just knowing that across the board, people supported me, I think that was really critical. And then also, you know, always looking for who are we missing? Like what type of people aren't we capturing? So I did do a presentation with the physicians on how they can utilize our services better or, you know, when when in this situation, lean on us for this. And so being able to support the physicians, especially when they do get slammed with so many patients. I mean, it's a 20 bed ED, but sometimes we would have 10 people out in the waiting room. We'd have people lined up in the hallway and on gurney beds. So whatever we can do to support them. Um, and being able to also get people just better care with outpatient. So saying, hey, you had a head injury. I have, I have at least two PTs downstairs that see people right after concussion. And they can help you return to sport. They can help you return to work. They can help manage your symptoms. Like, please go see them within 48 hours. Research shows that they do better when you go to see a PT within that amount of time. Which I think, you know, being at university, we both know it's really hard to get people in right away. And so mm-hmm. I will say any type of streamlining you can do or facilitation, really try and capitalize on that because it, I, it really does affect patient outcomes and their satisfaction with their care. I love it. That is yeah. makes a huge difference. I'm sure your patients mm-hmm. really appreciate that. Well, thank you so much for being with us today. Yeah. You've been in the ED now and you're officially discharged. Well, thank you for having me. Thank you so much. 
Thank you for listening. In the ED Now is a podcast hosted and produced by Rebecca Griffith, the ED DPT, as part of Rebecca Griffith Physical Therapy, LLC. Our podcast makes you an excellent emergency department physical therapist. This podcast is intended for educational use only and is not intended as clinical or medical advice. While we make every effort for accuracy, factual errors may be present. Since you've been in the ED, I'm prepared to give you your discharge instructions. Please subscribe, share, and find more at the eddpt.com. You're officially discharged. Thank you for listening.